This week's guest is Devin Trevathan, who joins us from Nashville, Tennessee. Devin is the co-founder and co-owner of Liba Spirits, a nomadic distilling company. Devin has held a wide variety of positions in the industry from alcohol spirits journalist, brand ambassador, bartender, server, marketing consultant, tour guide, wine retail manager, and now she and her business partner Colton Weinstein travel all over the world renting space in different distilleries to distill their own spirits. It's a unique concept and one you'll definitely enjoy hearing and learning about. Check out the website at libaspirits.com. That is spelled L-I-B-A-S-P-I-R-I-T-S.com. And on Instagram at libaspirits. Or check the show notes for all the links. Enjoy the show. Okay, welcome back to another episode of the Industry Podcast. As always, it's Kip and Dan with you. How are you doing, Dan? Doing well, doing well. And what about yourself? How are you doing? Everything's great. Yep. Wonderful. Yep. How was, as I always like to ask, how was business this past weekend at a non-holiday weekend at the bars? Okay, okay. It's very hit and miss. Friday Friday was one of the first days in a long time where all three bars did well. So Ooh. that was exciting. But then Saturday, they all did terrible. <laughs> so that's how, you, that's how you do it. It's very up and down. The industry is crazy these days you never know when you're going to be busy and when you're not so you just take it when it comes and then i was surprised to find out that today was a bank holiday oh because so, uh yeah up in canada here remembrance day right uh, so Veterans day in the states when i went to Saturday. check out how much money all the bars made all weekend in my bank accounts there was no money coming in and i was uh, very distraught well <laughs> until i figured that out i was like what the fuck is happening uh, but the money will come tomorrow uh ostensibly uh, okay we can only hope yeah <laughs> so speaking of which if you're in the kitchener waterloo area come check out my bar sugar run downtown kitchener is the speakeasy we have a big burlesque show coming up at the end of the month last friday of every month top shelf burlesque it's a amazing show you want to check that out babylon sisters bar we are doing afro beats nights the last saturday of every month great shows there dj bane every friday night always a fun and alex price uh, the second Saturday of every month. And then the Argyle Arms, we are retooling the concept. We are, we're just going to give it to you for cheap. It's uh, $15 for everything on the menu and $6 pints and $5 shots from now on. So come to the Argyle Arms in Preston, Ontario for that. Wow. We have Zach Gillett every Friday night. We have trivia every Wednesday night. And stay tuned for some upcoming uh, new show ideas as well. But yeah, that's the deal there in Preston. Sounds good. Out of curiosity, just for my own sake, uh, six bucks pints, eh? Mm-hmm. What are you offering? What's that? With uh, like domestic mainstream or like craft beers or all craft beers? beers? Craft beers, six bu- six bucks a piece. Huh, yeah, it's only about a ten minute drive from my office. There you go. How are you going to beat that? <laughs> <laughs> so come check us out there. As for the show, this is the industry podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on this show, it's just DM us at the industry podcast on Instagram, or you can email us directly info at the industry club. Should subscribe, rate, and review the show because that helps out tremendously. Always, always a big shout out to Zach Hanna at ZachHanna.co for all the great artwork he does for the Instagram feed. So big shout out as always to him. And I think that's about enough about us. Devin Trevathan is here with us from Nashville, Tennessee. I nailed the name. So we're in a good, we're off to a rolling start. How are you, Devin? I'm doing very well. And yes, you you nailed it. Really beautifully mm-hmm. done. 
Thank you very much. I appreciate the feedback. Yeah, thanks for <laughs> coming on the show. Yeah, yeah thanks for coming. Guys. Of yeah. course. Yeah, I'm yeah. so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, I mean, let's just jump right into it. You are you are a co-founder and co-owner of your own distillery, Liba Spirits. Mm-hmm. And so tell us all about that. Tell us uh, how... Well, let, let's just start. Like, What made you decide that you wanted to get into distilling? Well, quickly, before I even get into that, I will clarify that I technically don't own my own distillery. Oh, I right. Sorry, you own your company. Right, right. Sorry, my bad. And yep. no, no problem. I mean, I, I, you know, I shorthand it all the time because mm. getting into it with people sometimes is, is not always what yeah. they want to do. And I get it. It's you easier know, just to say, start yeah. Glazing yeah. over. Yeah, I'll just <laughs> yeah. say distillery yeah, is a word that they recognize. And so, right. like, yeah, we'll throw and, that out there. And we're going to get into exactly the difference between the owning your own distillery and what you do. But but, uh, yes. okay, so let's just talk instead about you you own your own spirits company. Can we say that? Yeah, I think yeah, that that's yeah. accurate. Yeah, okay. I think saying I own a distilling company is accurate. Um, okay. But do you want me to, to reveal? To reveal what it, it is. Do the okay, whole cool. thing. Yeah. So I, yeah, so I co founded a co own a company called Liba Spirits. It is just me and a business partner. Truly, honestly, I have started saying this recently. And I think it's pretty accurate. We are more employees who happen to be owners than what you would think of, I think, if you thought of an owner of a distillery. So, you know, people, I just don't want people to imagine me rolling around like a G-Wagon and being, I don't know, It's the exact same same thing that I do. Like I own three bars, but basically I just work for those bars, right? Yeah. yeah. I just don't (laughs) take like a salary is is what it is. You know, I'm I'm basically a free employee of myself. Um, (laughs) So... Uh, to distill, my business partner and I, we travel around the globe and we just pay to use other people's distilleries. Thankfully, over the last, I would say, 20, almost 30 years, you know, this big craft boom wasn't just in America, reached every corner of the entire world, basically. And so there's all these kind of mid-sized distilleries that are not actively producing 24-7. And we realized that and we knew, you know, we came from a background of production in the industry. And so we sought out to just go right to production, skip all of that, having to find, you know, sourcing and and um, resources and funding for an actual distillery. So we just have made it a big part of, of the company itself that we make all of our spirits in different places around the globe. Yeah. Okay. So this is very interesting. And I think you're right. A lot of people don't understand that this happens way more often than people think it does. It's, it like, in so it, many ways, too. Yeah. So many different little iterations of this kind of idea exist out there. Right. And, and they are a little shady. So I get why people are like, huh? <laughs> what, what, what do you well, do? a lot in craft brewing, like for beer, right. like it's it's yes. very prevalent there now. Um, where yeah. it's just like, and the, I think a lot of the reason, correct me if I'm wrong, is because the equipment is fucking expensive, right? So, oh, it's like, crazy yeah. expensive. I don't yeah, think people so, realize that like a small distilling system, and this is excluding the real estate that you would need, is going to start at two hundred thousand dollars, right? And that's a very small system that you will likely grow out of if you're doing it correctly. Within a couple of years. So you're and talking like, like crazy, a column right? still, a pot still. You Just, probably that's need, like a yeah. small batch pot yeah. system. That's right. not okay. even a continuous column. If you're looking at a continuous column system, that's, I don't really think, if you're looking to get it from one of kind of the premier still manufacturers in this country, I really don't think that you're going to get that for less than around a million dollars. 
right. just for the system so, itself. Now, right away, that's going to cut off most people at the knees. So, th- what uh, I was talking to Dan before that we started the before you, we uh, the Zoom connected here, and I was like, "This is a great symbiotic relationship for people now who have a good idea for distilling spirits, but don't have the capital to build their own fucking distillery." And yes. the, and conversely, these distilleries. Um, spend a shit ton of money on it and then don't have the production. so much. Yeah, Yeah. and then it's a good way for them to make some money back as well. Absolutely, and I think especially in the first couple of years, you don't know what your brand is going to be. The shift in in spirits trends and kind of the type of spirit that's going to potentially put your brand on the map or your company on the map can be very slow, but it also can be very unexpected. And so I think there's always, you know, it's kind of a crazy ask for people, right? They want to, they're supposed to come into this business and pretty quickly they're supposed to lay down all the spirit if they're aging it, that they are anticipating will do well in years to come. Right. But they have to wait for that time to pass. That's the, that's the other thing about distilling as opposed to like brewing beer is like you put out all this money right away, but then also, unless you're just making vodka, then you're and, and nobody's was, making vodka. You know, that system is like the most expensive system of them all to right. do it correctly. Or, just, or like gin or something like that, right? Gin, Where it's just right. like, yeah, you at least you don't have to age it and wait for it. So a right. lot of those places that have like column just that have the column to selling method, they'll at least make vodka or gin first while they age what they right. really want to do, right? And just so everybody they have did. Yeah. Right. And like yeah. Kind of between 2010 and 2017, I feel like every craft distillery in the entire country made a gin right. or maybe made a vodka or maybe threw out a rum. And and I get it. It was, I you know, I'm not going to, I can't, I can't fault anybody for their business decisions. It's a very challenging process. It's, it's super taxing. I, it's sad though that a lot of those people, I think by their own admission would say that they weren't very passionate about these products right. and they were just like, we need something on the shelves. Well, and it's cooler the, now that we have like canned cocktails coming out because I think yes. hopefully that's kind of a more interesting way of of getting product out there in the time between starting your distillery and, and having access to your age product. Yeah, because it would be difficult to get, like you said, passionate about making vodka with all due respect to vodka (laughs) (laughs) why did this come up so early i have this weird thing where i am always i swear to god i don't make vodka i don't drink vodka i for some reason have talked about or written about in defense of vodka many times throughout my career and i don't know why it just like it finds me in conversations and i don't know why (laughs) because vodka is so maligned for good reason but it doesn't have to be Actually, mm. and if we would embrace vodka, we could have a very fertile category for innovation, especially now that they've back in the United States back in 2020, I believe in March of 2020, changed the, the TTB ruling or the TTB definition of vodka and took out the part that said it needed to, by law, by definition, be colorless, flavorless, and odorless. Mm-hmm. It still needs to be distilled to at least 95% which is obviously the majority, but that 5% leaves room for character, right. light character. But but the cool thing about vodka is that you can make it from anything. You know, mm. there's no stipulation yeah. of the base material. And there's not that many officially designed, designated categories. Like, I wish I could get people to care about O to V, but I don't know. I don't know how to get the kids, the Gen Zers, <laughs> into something like O to V. It seems really far away. Maybe, maybe somebody cool. 
like yeah. a celebrity into it and they'd do yeah. something for it. But well, we can reach out to the rock. Like the next best thing, the rock. <laughs> yeah, he seems like he's having fun with Terramana. Yeah, add yeah, yeah. That's all he needs. Next? Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the spirits that you're actually making through your company. Yeah. Uh, yes. Start with explaining that to us, and then I'm very interested in talking about how you managed to do this all over the globe. Right. So when you're talking about how I how I produce, there has been a name for it in the past and how brewers have done it, which is gypsy brewing and then gypsy distilling. Unfortunately, I think before that even really got a chance to have legs, gypsy became a term that was not appreciated and it's kind of a slur. And so people, I think, are not using it as much. And in the wake of that, there hasn't really been an accepted term to put in its place. So I call it nomadic. Other people can have a different take, but that's how we refer to it. So as nomadic distillers, obviously, you know, as much as this whole concept is very like, it's it's dreamy, right? It's a fan, it's fantastical, a bit, yeah. yes. Yeah. But in reality, it's so logistical because we are accessing a lot of cool stuff, but we also have severe limitations. Us wanting to actually do our own distillations, we knew our first couple of products were not going to really have any age on them. We weren't going into categories that are traditionally really built, the, the characters built in the maturation process. So our first spirit that we made was a gin, actually, right. funny of course. enough. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. In the same steps as all of my craft brethren before me, I started yeah. with a gin. But I actually think that our gin was really is really cool and people love it as much as that can be kind of a pain in our ass because we made it in the Austrian Alps. And so to make more is like the most costly and time-intensive process. But it's... So we went to Austria to this distillery that's been, it's, it's a farm, it's an orchard. The property has been the same family since 1643. It's existed there for longer, casually 12 generations back, still operating this, this same property. And we distilled a gin there from uh, some Austrian botanicals, but really excited, we were really excited about this uh, incredible citrus that we were able to access that's actually from northern Italy. The distillery itself is only 40 minutes north of the Italian-Austrian border. So we flew in, we drove down to Verona, went to this insane market and picked up, filled a van full of fresh Italian Garda lemons, fresh Italian orange, and a fresh Italian juniper. All of those we used in all of our spirits. We use whole natural ingredients, so no flavors or anything like that. And brought that back up and, and prepared everything by hand. But that experience was amazing because I don't, it was just a it was this, a crazy time. <laughs> this is your first one. So this is our first like, distillation. Yeah. So we really so, went deep end, I would say. But what not like, as deep, but crazy what made bit. you even think to do this or that you could do this? Like that you were well, gonna fly to Austria <laughs> and like like where like where did the idea spring from? Casual I mean, not casually traditionally of course uh it it comes from relationships mm-hmm. and pre-existing relationship that's what this industry is all about right you guys are doing the podcast for it it's all yeah. about people that you know and get to meet and so one of the two brothers florian this austrian distiller who they run this distillery he had about 5 years prior come to nashville they were starting to get into whiskey distillation at their distillery. And they wanted to specifically get into smoking grain. 
And at that time, my business partner was running the production for Corsair Artisan Distillery in Nashville. That's where he and I met working there. And he was running their production and Corsair was kind of a leader in smoking of grain. They built their own smoker out of a shipping container. They were doing a lot of smoked grain before it was cool and it still isn't really cool. But there was just, at one point, there was like three craft whiskeys that incorporated smoking and and theirs was was one of them for sure. So Florian came and he lived with my business partner for the whole time that he was he was here studying kind of under him. So they became super tight, just really hit it off. They're close in age. So when it came time for us to start our company, we knew we needed to cash in on basically all existing favors that were yeah. floating out there in the world. And that one was a really cool story and seemed like a beautiful place. And I mean, it was even more beautiful than I'd even imagined when I was thinking about it. And it was just such an, it was an amazing experience getting over there. So it was, I think, properly picturesque. And we tried some products that Florian had sent us and we were really impressed by stuff from that area. And then also just having access to it was a huge part. We've, so, we've really always needed access. So like when this happens, like you, have, like you said, it was a connection first and foremost. Now this probably opens your mind to like, shit, we can probably do this in many different spots and we can probably do many different things. Yes, of course. Yeah. I mean, now... And I think even more probably than I realized or was thinking about it when we first started, now it feels like truly the sky's the limit. Although we are, of course, still, we're, we're an independent company, so we are limited by our own kind of resource limitations. But um, it opened up my mind to how we were going to approach production from then on, which is mm-hmm. that now... We, which it actually was kind of because our first spirit was this gin. And as we talked about, there's a lot of gin out there. And I think there's been a lot of really good gin that's come out in the last couple of years. But it's also not always a super favorable category, as everybody likes to tell me as a producer of gin. So many people don't like gin. And I'm sure you get it as a bartender. Uh, Yeah, a a little bit. Behind the bar. I think it came around a little bit, uh, like where there was it, there was a stretch. It's always, where, yeah, it's like, like gin, coming like, and going, coming yeah, and going. yeah. It's like cyclical, right? Like there was a yes. classic. It was there was a time where it was like the classic spirit, and it became right. like the classic spirit for cocktails. And then we kind of moved away from that. But now, yeah. with the resurgence of the craft cocktail craze, gin is right back in everyone's mind again. Naturally, because it's it's a great cocktail spirit. Yeah. You can really build a lot, and there's such variety. And that's yeah. actually part of why we were so intrigued about making a gin was we had seen already the variety of that gin, just this one category can have if you expand to include the global market. Because yes, there are some cool gins in the United States, but I think culturally gin is much more significant in other places. And a huge part of why we decided to start Liba Spirits and approach distilling in, in our own company this way is a trip that we took to Australia back, I think, in 2018. Me and Colton Weinstein, my business partner, went out there because we'd met these Australian distillers and we'd coordinated one to do kind of a collaborative product with him and Corsair. So they were going to do a distillation together. 
we went out there and we traveled around and back in 2018, Australia's distilling industry was super new, super young. And so they were kind of in their initial gin phase. But because Australia is influenced so much by Britain, I would say, culturally, mm. gin is a lot more of a significant spirit. It's a lot more typically consumed. It's something that is is kind of a standard for a lot of the people who live there. So gin was just having a real moment there. And they had these really cool gins that we tried. We, we kind of went to uh, some of the bigger cities in Australia, Hoth, Bris- no, we didn't go to Brisbane, uh, Sydney, um, Melbourne, Adelaide. I think that's it. But in and around these places, all of these a surprising amount of distilleries considering their tax system is really um, limiting to distilleries. It's really, really expensive to make spirits there, to sell spirits there, I should say, because of the taxes. But everybody was making these gins and they were making really cool gins, including one that we'd had, which I don't know if it's made anymore. And I actually was just talking to a chemist friend of mine and found out there's more like this, but it was a gin made in Australia that was flavored with green ants, like actual Ooh. ants. Oh. Um, because they had a like lime, kefir lime flavor. And we were able to go with the distiller from that distillery to their um, source for the ants, which is this entire food source company that is called Something Wild, I believe. And it's all foods sourced from the bush, the kind of center of Australia. And it had all sorts of crazy... Unexpected. I got like kangaroo jerky and the ants and lots of cows of variety kind of treatments. And it was a really, really amazing experience because they do a ton of foraging all around Australia for anything edible and, and flavor, something that has flavor. So we were able to try this super cool green ant gin. And we even brought a, <laughs> a bottle, one bottle back all the way across because obviously Australia to the US is a long journey. Got it all the way back. Colton, my business partner, had it in a bag with sh- like shoes of his, I guess, that didn't, I don't know. I don't know why he had it in the same bag, but it was all wrapped up. And you would know the weight difference between shoes and then also just a bag of just shoes and a bag of shoes and gin. Yeah. But for some reason, the jet lag, he took that bag and he tossed it down the stairs and it shattered. <laughs> oh. It was so sad. I just heard it (laughs) from like down the hall. And I was like, oh, that's the the only spirit I think we brought back from that trip. At least the one I was most excited about. Yeah. Um, You know, travel brain. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's a long trip. So that's maybe understandable. Um, But okay. So you have how many different distilleries across the globe are you working with right now? So... We've made so far three spirits. We went to Austria, made the gin. We are working on, you know, continuing batches of that. Um, Then we made our second spirit, a rum in New Orleans. That was, again, a distillery that is run by a very good friend of ours. We made more of the rum, so we're set on that for right now. And now we make our third spirit, Teratibo, here in Nashville. And that one is kind of... um, a little bit of a foray away from our traditional approach thus far because we make it a distillery that my business partner, again, Colton, 
he's been managing and running. He he kind of built it out. So it's a contract whiskey facility. So big continuous column still um, that is owned by and was built by the same people who own Corsair. So he was oh, hired okay. on to just run that project after we started the business and he kind of left Corsair. So he stayed on, he still runs that. He still is managing it on site every day, but we also are able to make our spirit there. And what is the, that spirit? The weekends. That is our bourbon-based aperitivo. So it's yeah, a red this is aperitivo. The, this is the one I saw on your Instagram feed. And I was curious yeah. to talk about it. Explain it to our yes. listeners. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, so following our first two spirits, right? We, we knew right off, we're going to make this gin. We're going to make this rum. We did not anticipate a global pandemic. That was a bummer. That what? was you a didn't? wrench in the chain. Uh, I, I <laughs> no. think you guys are the only one who didn't <laughs> see that coming. I know. <laughs> Rudy was talking about it, yeah. but we just were not paying attention. Yeah. It really was one single bat started the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. It, it was hilarious. How, like, actually, I just listened to uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. get interviewed by Rick Rubin, oh. and according to him, wow. it was what actually a, what a Mad Libs of yeah, <laughs> I know, right? Uh, uh, apparently, it was. Uh, Anthony Fauci went to Wuhan to create the virus. So yes. you're wrong about the bat. <laughs> My dad is um, on that tip. So I'm hearing about it regularly from him as well. I'm like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> At least the bat's got a good PR spin. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. They're out. Well, give them, for, give think, them a, a break. segment of Americans. <laughs> yeah. They're not mad at the bats anymore. Right. But it's hilarious. I mean, you could you can plan for so much when you're writing a business plan and you have to. And we, you know, we wrote an extensive business plan. And then that is just so almost comically perfectly kind of a huge, you know, problem for a travel-based business mm-hmm. that was gonna affect all of the places where people go to consume spirits mm-hmm. or buy new spirits or be introduced really to new spirits because of course, as we all know, consumption went way up, but it was like comfort brands. It was brands that people already knew. They didn't want to spend their their money on a rando spirit that they never heard of before. Yeah, it was Smirnoff, Kool-Aid, and a funnel. Exactly. Tito's was going <laughs> nuts. Everybody else was doing poorly. It yeah, was rough yeah. for a yeah. little while for, yeah. for the new brand. So we, we just kind of went internal. But we had already planned out these two first spirits. And then, you know, coming back out of the pandemic... I don't know if it's the same for you guys. The industry here, the landscape is different, especially for small businesses, for small distilleries. It is not the same. I don't, I kind of feel like personally, the time, the era of being able to have kind of one of everything, be like, we're just crap distillery. We make a a rum here, we make a vodka, we make a gin, we make a whiskey, we got three whiskey. I think that that's kind of over Mm -hmm. because I feel like it's become too, a bit too cutthroat. You have Mm -hmm. to be, focus. You have to have kind of like your flagship. It has to be a bit more specific. And perhaps you can still do that, but it's just not... Maybe you're not going to see the the runaway success that I feel like was kind of uh, sought after and, and made into like this this phenom that that existed sort of, of, of craft distilleries, just like being able to, to be huge off of a variety of spirits. And they just... People were buying into the, the distillery itself. That's interesting. So, because I kind of think that, like, for a also for a smaller sort of independent spirits company like yours, like it almost would have probably always made sense to focus on like a spirit. But you think it's become even more that way since the pandemic? 
Yeah, I mean, maybe I just have learned this in the last couple of years. <laughs> no, I didn't mean that. <laughs> I'm just like, it's just something yeah. that people are like, yeah, duh. No, no, no. I didn't mean it that Nothing way. Nothing new here, like, girl. Yeah. But because um, it's kind of like, like I there's do think so it much has become sh- more difficult yeah. recently. Yeah, it's become more difficult. Yeah, to succeed, and I think to contend with a pretty diverse and um, kind of concentrated market with a lot of different entrants for just about every category. I think you do kind of have to carve in and be like, this is what I do. Like your own and space with a, with a unique brand, like a unique yes. spirit, because like you said, there's so many fucking people making gin and rum. So and many, like, exactly. How do yeah. you stand out making gin now? If that's, if right. you really want to be just like a gin brand, how do you stand out making your gin? You can make it colorful yeah. Purple. I didn't see that coming. That was yeah. unexpected, but great for them. Yeah. But how else do you really like get people's attention? Because there's a lot of gin out there. Right. Even though everybody tells me that they hate it right to my face when I'm trying to give them <laughs> a sample for free. But there's yeah, a so lot of gin out there. So how do you? So I think after our first two spirits, that was I. I have no regrets because I think that is it's a really good illustration of what we can do as producers, me Mm -hmm. and Colton. Um, And I'm happy to have um, two things that people understand a little bit more because our third spirit, Teratibo, is, I think, technically the first of its kind. And for some reason, it is very confusing to people. I did not think that that was going to be the case necessarily, but they are very confused when I tell them that it's an aperitivo made from a bourbon that we make. So explain it. Just using neutral... So we were thinking about way, you know, we, we enjoyed, we made a gin first, right. And we didn't make all of the base of that. Uh, Part of it was just an Austrian neutral. And for anybody who's not aware, a lot of gin is made using a neutral base as the start. People don't typically make their own base for gin. Right. Um, And then we made a rum in New Orleans that was a botanical rum. So we made the rum ourselves from a Louisiana molasses and we infused it with a short list of botanicals because we were going to keep the rum flavorful and we just wanted to add that extra flavor. So I feel like we were knowingly or not inching closer and closer towards this thing that ultimately would feel very much like all those things clicked into place. So we realized we loved making the base ourselves, making the base to distillate, but also we got a huge kick out of just having that kind of secondary addition of flavor through maceration, basically. And it could be maceration redistillation, which is what we've done before, or we could just macerate and not have to redistill and and turn it into something. And that's kind of the basis of liqueurs and aperitivos, right? You're macerating, you're not necessarily redistilling, you're just filtering it off and then you're sweetening it. And, you know, you have the wide world of liqueurs, which has a lot of distinction within so we decided it would be cool to do a an aperitivo and to not just make a very traditional Italian aperitivo in America, to truly make an American aperitivo. And so to do that, we felt like, let's start with the most iconic American spirit, which to us is bourbon, hmm. make that ourselves, and then infuse it with stuff that kind of is traditionally up. Uh, pairs well with bourbon because we kind of just figured why not look at classic bourbon cocktails and be like what's working here Mm -hmm. and build with that so we ended up infusing it with tart cherry 
bitter orange peel, fresh orange peel, allspice, cardamom, uh, rhubarb. We have hibiscus in there, gentian, cinchona bark, lavage root, rhubarb root, and we sweeten it with the sorghum syrup. So it's very different in character mm. from your Camparis, your Select, your Aperol, because it has character from the, the whiskey base, the bourbon base. It's still there. But it also, we didn't want it to be like crazy bitter because we felt that was more of the Italian tradition. We thought American palate might appreciate a little bit more imbalance inherently. Um, and we were able to... to take down the sweetness a bit because of that as well. So it's got a nice, really like clean finish. There's no, there's no like cloying kind of film at the back of your throat, but I didn't realize how people, people don't really know how liqueurs are made necessarily, which why would you, why would you think about that? If you weren't some weirdo who spends all their time thinking about how things are made, but it's been fun to introduce something very new. It has a lot of story. There's a lot of there there. So we have to talk through it. But thankfully, everybody has been really, really receptive to it. So it, when it all else fails, I just give them a sample and they try yeah. it and usually it goes well. Well, that's cool. Like, I, like it's cool to do an aperitif, um, especially an American one, because, again, you're not really known for that. Like, starting with a whiskey base is super cool. Do you? So it's great, like, after dinner sipper, I'm sure. But is it also something you can use in cocktails? Yes, for sure. That has been the most challenging part. Um, it is, yeah, it's great. Just kind of like on its own, small sip before dinner, after dinner. I really, I think it's really great just with some soda water or some sparkling wine or a combination of the two. But cocktails are where it gets a little bit tricky and where I think people who've worked in the cocktail industry will always have kind of a leg up if they ever decide to start distilling or producing their own spirits because not all spirits producers distill with the intention of what it's going to taste like in a cocktail. Mm -hmm. And with modifiers like liqueurs and aperitivos, you really have to have that in mind. Mm -hmm. That's got to be in your head as you're making it because that is typically how people are going to use it. That's right. Because we've adjusted a bit and, and it is an interesting thing. I, I think aperitivos could be so much bigger. Um, I think it's happening. Obviously, there's been like a crazy increase in Aperol sales and consumption over the last nine years. They have like, it's up something like 800%, which is Mm -hmm. nuts. But I think people who are doing that are really sticking to the spritz, basically. 100%. It's all spritzes, yeah. Go for it. I mean, fucking why not? Like, why not? Spritz is a perfect cocktail, basically. Mm -hmm. It's bubbly. It's relatively light. And the nice thing about Terrativo and a spritz is that you get a little bit more depth with the bourbon. You can actually, that's I think where it, it shines the most is that it takes a cocktail that can at times feel a little bit flat in some ways. Like it bottoms out at a place and you're kind of like, I can feel the bottom of this basically. And having an actual spirit base adds these layers and these shades of, of flavor and character that are cool. But there is so much more application of aperitivos than just spritz. And there's so much more application of aperitivos than just aperitivos than just Campari. Cause so many of our cocktails are built around specifically Campari. And that is like the most bitter that you could really realistically do. And also very sweet. Mm -hmm. So I kind of have to trust bartenders. 
also I've bartended before, but I would not consider my, I was not a good bartender. I was a terrible mm-hmm. bartender. <laughs> I didn't like having to talk to people. Nobody does. No, it sucks. <laughs> but you can't go anywhere. <laughs> talking to people is to... talking to people is only fun if you choose to. Uh, the it's problem only is, fun if yeah, you want it. That's it's right. Like you, so many things in life, it's only good if you want it. Yeah. If, you, if, if you're forced you, to talk to people, it always sucks. And you can't like I only worked in small bars that were yeah, maybe so you can't escape eight yeah. seats. There was yeah. nowhere to go. Yeah. And at one point, I was dumb enough to take a job at a bar where the main bartender was like this really showy, not oh, showy yeah. and kind of like, Ooh, look at these flips. But he was just kind of a bartender who was known in town and he would talk, he would talk super openly about his life. Sometimes I would listen right. to him and I'd be like, what are you saying about things that you're doing outside of work to these randoms? And I'm not going to do that, unfortunately. No, and so I worked with come in there expecting yeah. a show. And I was like, ah, here, uh, here's your drink. I worked with a lot of people at one of the bars I worked at for a very long time who did that as well. They just told the regulars everything about their lives. And I'm like, why are you doing that? That's so fucked. But then, but then the, of course, the regulars love those people because they feel like they They have a personal connection to them. Right. But it's just like for me, it's like, I don't want these people to know a fucking thing about me. And I, I couldn't even imagine. I yeah, could not even like, imagine doing that. Like, yeah. I honestly would not know where to start. Do you just at some point look at them and you're like, ah, I went on this date yesterday. I do think that that's what people do, but I cannot yeah. imagine doing that. Yeah, tell them weird so shit about crazy. their childhood. I'm like, what is happening here? The therapy What's is supposed happening? to go one way, not the other. That's yeah. what I thought. I, like, I was happy to hear their problems. Yeah. But then something changed and it was like they expected a performance almost or something. Well, yeah, I think it's like some. a certain type of personality who like changed over time where then they, it was like everybody just wanted to bitch about themselves so much that it's just like, oh, this person's sitting here, they'll listen. And like, yes. and then, yeah, and then they feel like they've got a personal connection with you. And I'm like, you're it's not supposed to, like, this doesn't happen at Best Buy. I don't, <laughs> I, right? Like, <laughs> there's so, nobody else within the, the entire, even within the, the, restaurant or the bar like nobody else is going to do that with these people no it's yeah. just going to be you sitting there talking about that <laughs> thing that happened to you when you're 13 that has haunted you until this yeah. very moment it's like wait, fucking what? weird what are you doing that's crazy. <laughs> uh, well, i can't we'll, imagine it we're super glad that you told us a little bit about yourself tonight despite your obvious uh inclination to not do that yes i know usually <laughs> but, i'm not into it yeah but. no but thanks for coming on the show it's super cool to talk about liba and what you guys are doing there do you have anything new coming up or are you just going to roll with uh what you've got going right now yeah we are i mean kind of as you you mentioned we are the use in cocktails was such a big thing that it took mm. us a couple iterations to really get like the teratibo initial teratibo perfect but we feel very locked in with that. So that is going to be, you know, something that we kind of are all in on for a bit. But now, and this is also kind of an extension what we said, now we are taking the Terrativo concept. Our thought is to take the Terrativo concept and really expand it globally, right? So right. we've made a version that I think is is kind of our domestic Terrativo with the bourbon base and with flavors that are kind of of this country and 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 flavor history and then we would like to go to some I, our hope is next to go down to mexico and make something from a tequila base or an agave spirit base and make that into again also an aperitif style liqueur 
And then we'd like to go to Japan and make something from like a rice distillate base. And then, because this way, it really is just a, a way for us to make all of these iconic spirits that we always wanted to make and offer them in a package or in a, a format that feels new. So it's not just us coming to to market with another bourbon or another tequila or, you know, mm-hmm. we wanted to really put a spin on it. So we will have the tequila, the, the Terrativo family, hopefully fleshed out over the next couple of years, which I'm very excited about. Yeah, it's super cool. Congratulations, Devin. Like that's amazing. You. It's amazing undertaking. It's super cool what you're doing. Tell our listeners where they can find out about you on social media or website or whatever. Sure. Um, yeah. yeah, I'll hit you with the the socials. So my social media, I really am just on Instagram. It's at Dev Loves Bev. That I don't think I need to spell. And then <laughs> <laughs> the company Instagram is at Liba Spirits, L-I-B-A-S-P-I-R-I-T-S. Please find me on there, reach out with anything. I might tell you something personal about myself, might not, you know, roll the (laughs) dice, but (laughs) I am on there. And yeah, thank you. I guess our website is uh, LibaSpirits.com. And that has kind of our our history, our story. Um, Probably should have more on there, but we're working on it. Uh, well, it's amazing, Devin. Thanks so much. It's like a super cool story. I think it's awesome what you're doing. So keep Thank it you. up. And thanks for giving us your time. Thank you guys so much. I really enjoy your podcast. You're doing great. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thanks very much. 